Good morning. For today's scripture reading, I will be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This used to be my favorite passage to preach. If you can picture little teenage Dan, I used to say a lot skinnier, but I lost so much weight here lately, I can't say that anymore, but I did have a lot more hair and a lot less wrinkles. But if you can picture little teenage Dan, this would be one of my go-to passages. If I was ever visiting one of these small country Western, uh, small country congregations out of Holler in West Virginia somewhere, pretty good odds I was going to preach from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I loved, and still love, that living sacrifice imagery that the Apostle Paul inspired uh, was inspired to use here. But whenever I would preach that, it was important to me, even back then, to emphasize that being a living sacrifice, our sacrifice is not just, well, I don't say curse words because I'm a Christian. Our sacrifice is not just, well, I don't drink, I don't sleep around because I'm a Christian. Now, don't get me wrong, all of that is part of being holy, like that passage says. But sometimes I think we think that that's our sacrifice. But really, when we don't do those things, that's for our good. You realize that, right? When you don't do something that God has said, hey, don't do that, he's helping you out. Like, you're not giving something up for him. Like, he is making your life better by teaching you to steer clear of those things. That's for your benefit. So, sacrifice, then, as we're hearing it here, is really about giving our whole self to God. So it's not just what we don't do. What we're talking about here is also what we do. So to make that point as a young guy, I latch on to the phrase that Paul used there about the renewal of your mind. When I was going to church camp as a high schooler, I had a preacher teach me one time that the word that we translate as renewed there is the same word that we get renovation from in the English language. So the young, funny guy that I was, I came up with this big, deliberately ridiculous, way over-the-top parable about renovating a bathroom. And I would get all into describing in detail, wanting to destroy this old avocado green tile bathroom that would look more at home in a grandmother's house. And I want to get a really nice bathroom. So I go to the store and I name off all these wild bathroom fixtures, appliances that I'm going to get. And then I would tell the story. So then I bring that all in and I shove it right next into the old stuff. And I'm acting it way over the top. But then I would stop and I would ask the congregation, as I asked you, when I shove that new stuff in there with the old stuff and step back and say, I renovate. Have I? Why not? Got to take the old stuff out first, Jason. 
Got to take the old stuff out first. That's right. So then I would back up in the parable and I'd say, okay, so this time I, I go in with a hammer and I just smash that old, ugly grandma bathroom to pieces. And then I step back and say, okay, I've renovated. And I ask again, have I? And the congregation says, no, why not? What do I need to do? Put the new stuff in. So the point that I would make would be, that's what we're talking about with the renewal of our mind. It's not just living the same life with all the same influences, with all the same activities and priorities we ever did before. It's about squeezing some Jesus. Go to church every once in a while. It's also not saying, well, now I'm a Christian, so I can't watch this, and I can't do that, and I can't go there, and I need to stop hanging out with this person, and then not replacing it with anything so that we're just living sad, lonely lives, hoping we die soon so we can go to heaven. That's not the kind of living sacrifice that this scripture is teaching us. Not wasn't bad for a teenager, right? Pretty memorable little sermon I would preach there. We'd sing the invitation song, everybody would go home, but I recognize now that there was a pretty important part missing in all of that. And that's the how. We do need to renew our minds, to experience the good that God has for us. And the way I used to preach it made that point pretty well. But then how are we supposed to get started with actually doing it? Now, the wonderful thing is in this passage, Paul already told us. He pointed to it when he said that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. So we do have to recognize that our minds need to be truly renewed, but that's really just the start. Because if you look at what Paul says next, in Romans chapter 12, continuing with verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has a son. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Now this shouldn't be surprising to us, but if we are going to renew our minds, that starts with changing what we think. And especially changing what we think about ourselves. Because sometimes we can be guilty of thinking that we're the center of the universe. We just go through life focused on what we want done, oblivious to what God might be doing, oblivious to what other people might need. It's all about what we want, how we want it, what we want to do. We justify all the time why it's okay that we do this or that, or why we shouldn't have to do this or that. And that's a way of thinking that needs to change. But there's other ways of thinking that we can fall into too. Because sometimes we fall into traps of thinking that no matter what we do, we're never good enough. Some of us have everything that we ever do in life from a place of constantly feeling like we have to. That it's a personal failure if you don't go and do all the things yourself. 
where you're constantly, it doesn't matter what you do, you're condemning yourself because you didn't do more. Maybe you're even judging others for not doing what you think they should do. And when we renew our minds, it changes all of that. We learn to start thinking with sober judgment, Paul says. That means that we try to clearly see ourselves. We try to clearly see other people the way that God Now that sounds nice, but again, how? How are we practically supposed to renew our minds so that we do see and think with sober judgment? Well, one practical thing that I might suggest is before you consume anything else as you start the day, start with the Bible. Don't silence your alarm and start scrolling through news or social media. Open the Bible app. And let that be your first thought. Take some of that time that you have devoted to listening to talk radio or cable news and tear that out of your routine and replace it with Christian music, with a Bible study podcast. Take some of those bad influences out and replace them with some good influences that'll change the way you think. If you want to renew your minds, pray each day. As you start the day, as you end the day, as you go throughout the day and have to make a choice about saying this or doing that, stop and pray. Sometimes it might be an all-night prayer before a big decision. Sometimes it might be a one-sentence prayer because you've been put on the spot and you've got to make sure you get this right. Both of those are in Scripture. Either one of those are okay. But pray. Let that start to change your mind. Let that start to help you see things God's way. Because if that's our mindset, then we might sit down to the lunch table today and get ready to comment on what that person was wearing or what that person said at church today. But if we're learning to think that way, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't say that. Or we might recognize, you know what? Maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe this isn't the best way for me to do that. Let me catch that. Or we might be out and about and think, wow, like that's right in front of me. It's like God wants me to do that. So let me do that. Or we might get invited to something and we think, man, that's really great. But I'm somewhere else. I just can't. So instead of going, oh gosh. We're going to pray, Father, please. That seems really great. I want you to be done sin laborers so that that gets done. That's a completely different way of thinking about things. Of thinking about ourselves. Of thinking about each other. Because appreciate Christianity as it's presented in Scripture is not just about individually keeping commandments. Where our main question is, well, have I done enough? For God to let me into heaven. Because the way that Paul's describing it here, it's about us becoming one with Christ. That comes from putting our faith in him, giving our loyalty to Jesus as king. That comes from being united with him when we've repented of our sins, we've been buried within the baptism. And while we each have to choose that for ourselves, 
every single one of us who has done that, we're in it together. Which is an entirely different way of thinking about church. Because as Paul continues in verse 6, he says here, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our service, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You aren't here. You aren't here at worship. You aren't here in the city of Georgetown, South Carolina. You're not here alive on the planet Earth to get something. You are here to give something. And the really cool thing about that is God gave it to you for that very purpose. No matter who you are or how much you have or don't have, no matter what you've been through or what you wish you could do but you just can't do anymore, God has given you something that you are able to use right now. And our gifts aren't all the same. When we're focused on individually keeping commandments, we act like they are, that there are things that we all must do. We're looking for that minimum list of, of have-to-dos. But that's the wrong way of thinking. Instead, what we need to be asking is, what has God made me able to do? What has he given me that I could use for his glory? as I share it with someone else for their benefit. And there's so many things that that could be, as the Apostle Paul listed here. Like in this passage, whenever we hear the word prophecy, that's one where we often think, well, that means miraculously predicting the future. And it often can be that. But that's not all that prophecy is. And I think we recognize that when it's included on this list of things that you really don't need an apostle to lay his hands on you to be able to do. Because at its most basic level, to be a prophet means to be God's spokesperson. I mean, you interpret and apply God's word to this moment, even more so than future moments, to build up and encourage and console the faithful while warning the wayward and convicting the sinful. It's a gift when someone has the faith to be able to speak God's word and truth into our lives in that way. But if you were someone who's sitting here and your memory is like a sieve and you can't keep anything in there without it just leaking right out, or if you're somebody who has nightmares about public speaking, there's pretty good odds that's not a gift that God gave you. But you can serve. You can roll up your sleeves. Or you can wrap a towel around your waist. And do what needs done. Or you can teach. You can patiently explain what things mean. But maybe in a more personal, conversational sense. 
You can encourage. You can see other people with God's eyes. And you can commend what you see. You can commend those things that you see someone doing now that gives God glory. You can commend the potential that you see. The ways that you know God could use that person as they continue to focus and follow and grow. If you're somebody that God has given you more than you need, and Scripture teaches us what we need is food and clothes. So if you've got that and a lot besides, you can contribute. You can share from the abundance of what God has given you, not compelled by a command because this is one of five things we have to do every Sunday, but wanting to do so generously. You've received from God, so you want it to be used for His glory, to help someone else. If God gave you the gift of leadership, if you're someone who's just able to organize things, you're able to influence people, you're able to motivate people, Can you use that gift for God with zeal? Where your leadership isn't just waiting for complaints or for someone to pressure you, but where you're eagerly directing things to go the way God wants them to go. If you're somebody that's able to call a senior or visit a shut-in or help someone in need, can you do that cheerfully? Not because it's expected. Not bragging about how someone really should, but genuinely being glad that you have the opportunity to love someone who God also loves very much. These are just a few examples that Paul was inspired to give. Will you think about it? What is that for you? Maybe it's a special talent. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just time or energy or availability or a telephone. But God's given you something. And part of renewing our minds is reflecting on what God has given us to use for him. And when we all do that, exciting things happen, provided we actually start doing it. Because in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul gets really practical. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice and hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. As we renew our minds by changing how we think, then the next step is to test that by actually acting on it. And there are a lot of actions that he gives us here to choose from. Probably a number of things that many of us already do. That we already do on a regular basis. Yet renewing our minds still challenges us to do them from the right motivation. You see, when we're confronted with a temptation, the right motivation doesn't say, 
Well, I would, but I'm a Christian. Now, the right motivation is we hate what's wrong. It's not, well, I guess I should do that because I'm supposed to. No, we hold fast to what is good. We grab onto it and we hold it tight. We're motivated by genuine Christ-like love, which means that I don't just say I love you or I don't just quote, well, love your neighbor, but I actually love as a self-sacrificing action where I am pouring myself out for someone else's good. Whatever your gift is, whatever time you have or ability to serve, whatever words you have to encourage or resources you have to contribute, you use it for someone. So this week, before today's over, can you send a card? Does God need you able to do that? Can you give somebody a call? Could you invite somebody out to have coffee with you? Your body. Could you invite someone over to your house for dinner? And I feel compelled on behalf of the millennials and younger among us. Maybe don't put this sermon into practice by showing up to our houses unannounced. Because whatever your intentions are, we don't feel love when you do that. We actually feel kind of stressed. And you can explain to us, oh, well, I'm here to see you, not your house. Or you could try loving us in a way that makes us feel honored. And then we can try to do the same for you. We can try to outdo one another in showing love. Because y'all know, I have no problem with just walking up and giving you a hug. And some of you really don't like that. <laughs> so if I'm going to love you genuinely, if I'm going to outdo you and show an honor, I'm not going to convince you, Caleb, like, you need to get more comfortable with me hugging you. So, Caleb, let me show you all that happens. Really? No. I'm going to find other ways to love her that honor her. Christine doesn't want me to come up after her and be there and you, Christine. No, she does not. So instead of saying, well, Christine, really, we're family. You should let me hug you. I should say, we're family. Let me find a way to speak love to her in the way she's going to receive it. Outdo one another in showing love. Renew those minds. We're looking for those ways to put other people first, to take what God has given us and share it where we're not tracking how many thank yous we got for what we did. Where we're not worrying about if the person we're loving has ever done anything for us. But we're just loving. We're just loving enthusiastically. Because when our minds are renewed, when our motivation is right, those actions that we do day by day, those hugs or those not hugs, those inviting out for coffee or not showing up at the house and calling to at least give a 10 minute warning. Those are all things that we do in service to the Lord when we're getting the motivation right. Being constant in prayer helps with this. Starting and ending each day, getting in the right mindset 
before we make a decision or a conversation. Prayer helps with that. It starts to change our thinking. And when our thoughts change, our feelings start to change. And when our feelings are starting to change, what we say and do starts to change. We're able to have patience even when we're faced with the tough stuff. We have patience to love people even when they're not acting lovable. And then do you know what we get to do? We get to rejoice. We get to rejoice in hope. Because no matter how the person we're loving responds, no matter what anybody else thinks or says, we know why we did it. We know who made us able to do it. So we know that it's not wasted. That effort matters. It will make a difference. And that's hope. That's hope that's different than the world has. That's hope that's only possible when you've been transformed so that you don't think and speak and act like the world does when you're truly a living sacrifice. It's hope that makes you rejoice no matter what is going on. Because as Paul concludes this chapter, starting with verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Not everyone will like it. Not everyone will agree with us. Not everyone will see our sacrifices, our efforts to be different as a good thing. Sometimes we'll rejoice. We'll live in harmony. We'll live peaceably. And sometimes it won't be up to us. Sometimes we will face painful situations where all we can do is weep. We weep for ourselves. We weep for those that are hurting. We can't fix it. We can't just make it go away. We can't force someone else to change, to forgive, to move forward. And it hurts. But it will be okay. Because God is in control. And that is the ultimate shift when we renew our minds. Because now we're living our lives for Him. And whatever that looks like for us, whatever gifts we do or don't have, whatever situation we find ourselves in, He is going to make it okay. Because He is a God who is going to right the wrongs. 
He is a God who is going to heal the brokenness. So we're free to just do good. I can feed you if you're hungry, and it doesn't matter what you think about. It doesn't matter what you have said or done. I can give you something to drink when you're thirsty. Because really, the things that I'm doing, I'm serving God. I'm serving him when we're all together here for an hour on Sundays, yes. But I'm also serving him every other day. I live for him. I'm a living sacrifice for him. Therefore, my hope is in him. Because ultimately, he will overcome evil with good. So my job is just to move that along as much as I can, as much as he makes me able until Christ comes and finishes the job. So are you ready today to get started? Because maybe like Team Dan's church audiences, you recognize in this passage that need for renewal of the mind, but let's go further and let's be a group of people that actually do this. Let's be a group of people that starting today start to challenge those thoughts that need to be transformed. To start ripping out the bad influences, to start replacing them with good. Let's be people who start to recognize what God has given us and then use it. Let's be people that test what this passage says by doing something this week. Doing it from genuine love. Doing it in service to God. And then let's be people that rejoice. People that rejoice in hope.